0: Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. If you're using the black Bibles that can be found on page 573. More than 700 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah writes to the people of Israel who at this time they had by and large rejected their God. They've been unfaithful to God by worshipping idols, by breaking the covenant that God had graciously made with them. And as Isaiah laments a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 6, a familiar passage, remember he laments that he is a man of unclean lips and that he dwells among a people of unclean lips. So that was this, the status of God's people at that time, sinful and unfaithful. And because of their unfaithfulness in, in the context, I'm just giving us the context of Isaiah 9 before we read our passage. Uh, Because of their unfaithfulness, God has just pronounced in the previous chapter, in chapter 8, that he's going to punish them by sending the powerful nation of Assyria to attack and conquer much of Israel. And so they've just heard this this dreadful news. And chapter 8 ends by describing their coming future with these words. Distress. Darkness. The gloom of anguish. And then, and then again it says, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's the picture. That's the bleak picture that's just been given to them at the end of chapter 8. And so the passage now that we're about to read here in Isaiah 9 speaks to that. Isaiah is writing to a people who've just been confronted by this dreadful news of war, of distress, of anguish. They're filled with gloom and fear as they hear about this this of Assyria coming, of this terrifying darkness that's about to come upon them. And they know that that darkness is really matched by their own darkness of unbelief in their hearts. But the good news that we see in Isaiah chapter 9 is God is not going to leave them in their darkness. God is not going to leave them in that darkness. Rather, He is graciously going to send a great light. He's going to send a coming king who will rescue his people from their darkness. And so with that, we read of this coming king now in Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. So I'd ask you to please stand once again for the reading of God's word. I want to read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 9, and then I'll explain what our focus is going to be today and and for the weeks to come. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You hear how that's a language of peace. All this war stuff is going to be, be taken away. on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this thanks be to God for his word please be seated more than 700 years after after God led Isaiah to pen those words we just read God fulfilled them by sending his son to earth to be born of a virgin. What Isaiah and his hearers longed for, no doubt, when they heard this this promise, they longed for that, they hoped for that. Well, what they were longing for and hoping for has happened, loved ones. Jesus, the Son of God, has come. Jesus is the light of the world that dispels the darkness of sin and the darkness of death. Through his sinless life, sacrificial death and, and bodily resurrection. Jesus has defeated sin and death so that now anyone who turns from their sins and, and by faith embraces Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are uh, resurrected. They are given the light of life. And so this, the Christmas season is a perfect time. It's another reminder of what we can be doing all year long. That's praising God for sending the Savior Rejoicing that the light of the world has come into this dark world to save sinners. And many of us, by God's grace, have experienced that, that deliverance. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. By Jesus, the light of the world. Praise God. And so Isaiah 9-6 is a well-known verse around Christmas time, certainly. Because it, it, it promises the coming Messiah. And Isaiah 9, 6 says of Jesus, this this promised coming king, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today I want to begin a four-week series with you called Name Above All Names, where we will consider those four titles that we see there in verse 6. Four titles for our Lord Jesus. One, Obviously we'll take one, one title a week, Lord willing. These four titles of Jesus declare the glory of who Jesus is and what he has done and is doing. So my prayer as we study these these titles of Jesus over the next four weeks, I pray that God will open our eyes to the beauty and the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that our hearts will be... uh, struck once again, captivated once again by Christ, that though our hearts would overflow with adoration for Jesus and for gratitude to God the Father for giving us His Son to save us and to lead us through this life. Today we'll focus on this first title for Jesus, Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. Now, as I, as I thought about that and studied that this week, I thought, you know, that word wonderful has, has really lost much of its punch today, you know? Right? I mean, you know, we, wonderful can just be kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, a simple expression of, of joy or, or of happiness or pleasure, or sometimes it's even said sarcastically, right? Oh, wonderful. But the word wonderful here in Isaiah 9-6, please understand, right? If we're going to understand... And, and, and praise Christ for who he is, we need to know what this word means. And this word wonderful in 9, six, is actually a very powerful word. It means supernatural. It means wonder working. In the Bible, this word wonderful is never used to describe men and women. Never used to describe something men and women do. This word in the Bible is only ever used... To talk about God. To talk about who he is specifically, what he does. It it talks about, it refers to God exercising his infinite power to rescue his people. His infinite power to rescue his people. That is what wonderful means. God of wonders. God is a wonder working God. How wonderful it is that God would powerfully and graciously come and rescue rebels like us. We should be struck by the wonder of His grace, let alone the wonder of His power and wisdom to draw salvation's plan. And again, I, I give you Exodus 15:11. It was our call to worship. and think about, again, the context of Exodus 15. God's people at that time, the nation of Israel, have just been delivered from bondage to Egypt. And they've seen God powerfully work through plagues, and and most recently through the parting of the Red Sea. And and here they were, just these weak people, and the the Egyptian army bearing down on them. And God powerfully parted the sea. They go through on dry land. Pharaoh's army follows, and God brings the, the sea back upon the army killing them. And so they're on the other side rejoicing at, at the wonders that God has just worked to deliver his people. And so they Exodus 15 is is like an ex, a response of worship. And Exodus 15 says of God, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. That's our word, wonderful counselor. Psalm seventy-seven fourteen 14 says, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Isaiah 25, 1. O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and Sure. And so here in Isaiah 9, this term wonderful, right? The same term that's used to describe God powerfully working to deliver his people. Now that term is used to describe this child who's going to be born. This child who's going to be given to us. Who in his person and in his being and what he will accomplish is a wonder. He will be called wonderful counselor. Now, counselor, we're maybe a little more familiar with, although we might bring some unhelpful pictures to that. Counselor, it's used in the Old Testament to describe advisors, certainly. Someone who has understanding, discernment, good judgment. Counsel has to, know with, uh, uh, has to do with knowing what is best to do next, right? Well, listen to this. Isaiah 28, 29. This also comes from the. This is what the verse reads. This also comes from the Lord of Hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Catch that? The Lord of Hosts, the God of angel armies, is wonderful in counselor in, in counsel and great in wisdom. God's counsel. Please understand this. This is going to be important for us as when we think about Jesus being our wonderful counselor. God's counsel is more than just mere advice. (laughs) It speaks of his purposes. Again, Isaiah 25, 1 says, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. That word plans is the same word that Isaiah uses for counsel. Council speaks of God's decrees, God's purposes. When God makes plans, we know they are always wise, they are always perfect, and they will always be carried out. God's purposes will not be thwarted, right? So what is God's plan? What is God's ultimate purpose in history? It's to glorify Himself, right? It's to save a people for His own possession through His Son, Jesus Christ, for His namesake, for His glory, to save them in such a way that it glorifies His sovereign grace, His power, His love, His mercy. God has a purpose He's carrying out, and Jesus is the central agent and executor of that purpose. (laughs) And that purpose involves God working wonders for his people. God's plan and purpose from before the foundation of the world, scripture says, is to save his people and glorify himself. And God has done that, God is doing that. God saved his people by sending his own son into the world. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. God carried out this plan by sending His own Son into the world to become a man, to take on a human nature. And then as that man, as that God-man, to live and die and rise again in the place of His people in order to purchase their salvation. So I lay all that groundwork to say, today as we consider this title for Christ, Wonderful Counselor, please understand that's not just saying Oh well, you know Jesus gives good advice. (laughs) I mean, yeah, sure, he does give good advice, but it's so much more than that, right? Jesus is wonderful counselor because he is powerfully—remember wonders—he's powerfully carrying out God's plans. (laughs) Okay, please understand that Jesus is wonderful counselor because he powerfully carries out God's plans. He has powerfully purchased salvation for his people, and by his Spirit, he is now powerfully delivering his people from the domain of darkness and sanctifying them into his image for his glory. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. The big idea of the sermon is in your bulletin, I believe. I forgot to double-check, but yeah, there it is. Under the notes there. Jesus is the wonder-working counselor whose spirit and word can can transform us. Okay? That's the big idea of the sermon. Jesus is the wonder-working counselor whose spirit and word can transform us. In other words, can save us and sanctify us. I want to develop that point, that big idea today under three headings. Heading number one I called our desperate need. Our desperate need. We all desperately need Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. That is true of every person under the sound of my voice. We all desperately need Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. Every one of us needs Jesus to work his wonders in us by his sovereign grace. And I'll give you three reasons Under this point, three reasons we desperately need Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. Reason number one, we are by nature separated from God and darkened in our understanding. We are by nature separated from God and darkened in our understanding. I take that language from Ephesians 4.18. Ephesians 4.18, God's word says of people without Christ, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That is true of every person by nature. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are all born with a sin nature. And this means, among other things, that we don't understand reality properly. We suppress the truth of God's existence, of His creative power and goodness and faithfulness to us. We wrongly think By nature, that the world is all about us. (laughs) We give glory to ourselves and we sinfully desire autonomy. I'm captain of my own life. I'm lord of my own soul. Baloney, right? We can't even keep our hearts beating. But yet this is what man thinks by nature. We arrogantly think that we have the capacity to meet our needs and solve society's problems. And all such thinking and acting is sin. It's seeking to exalt ourselves to the place that belongs to God and God alone. So we're all sinners. The Bible is very clear about that. We're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And if any among the unbelievers acknowledge any indebtedness to God, or if any has a sense of separation from God, Oftentimes, people in their sinful pride think that they can make themselves right with God through their own efforts, and that's further sin. To think, oh, if I just try to do enough good, or if I just try to be a kind person, or if I just do this or that, I can make myself right with God. All of this that I've described, and when we think about counselor and wisdom and understanding and all that, please understand, all of this I've described is not an intelligence problem. It's a moral problem. No matter how high a person's IQ, no matter how great their academic achievements or career accomplishments, they need Christ to transform them. This is a sin problem. And so this applies to you today. Again, no matter how high your IQ, no matter how great your academic achievements or career accomplishments You need Christ to transform you. You need the Spirit of Christ to open your eyes to the truth of your sin against God and your inability to make yourself right with God. You need the Spirit of Christ to show you that only Christ's death on the cross can pay for your sins. You need to see that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's reigning from the Father's right hand, and that he's granting forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe in him. We all need that by nature, and by God's grace, God has worked that in many of us today. Every one of us needs Christ to work wonders in our heart. And some here today still perhaps need that. You still need Christ to to work wonders in your hearts, to save you, to give you new life, to rescue you from the domain of darkness, to bring you into the family of God, to cleanse you from all your sins, to give you eternal life. And that is what he has come to do. But not only do we need Christ's saving work in us initially. But even then, as Christians, even as those whom He saves, and even as those of us who are seeking to follow Christ, we continue to need Christ to be our wonderful counselor. Okay? Every one of us needs Christ daily to be our wonderful counselor. Second reason, all right? The first reason was our. what, by nature, we're separated from God and darkened in our understanding. Second reason for our desperate need, and I'll cover these a little more quickly. We are exposed to lots of bad counsel. Right? This is what we're seeing in 1 Peter, right? When God saves us, he doesn't, he doesn't you know, like beam us out of this world <laughs> He, he delivers us from the domain of darkness, but he leaves us in this fallen world as members of his kingdom and, and members of his family. And so now we're we, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. But the fact is, we're exposed to lots of bad counsel. As we follow Christ in the midst of this fallen world system, that means we are bombarded with the sinful philosophy and values of this world. And so remember, I'm I'm making the case for why we need daily Christ to be our wonderful counselor, our powerful counselor. We're bombarded with bad counsel through social media, YouTube influencers, unbelieving family and friends. We are counseled. How? How are we counseled from those people? We're counseled to gratify our sinful desires. We're counseled to find our hope and security in the things of this world. We're counseled to hit subscribe and, and, and all this and that, right? To, to line their pockets. We're counseled to exercise sin <laughs> by and large. We're exposed to lots of bad counsel, loved ones. And that, what else could we expect from unbelievers, right? Sometimes, even believers may unknowingly give us unwise counsel. And so all that to say, we need discernment. And that's why we must turn again and again to the word of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3 says. Third reason for our desperate need. Not only are we exposed to lots of bad counsel, but thirdly, we have remaining sin. Brandon mentioned it in our prayer, right? Lord, please kill our remaining sin. Help us put to death our remaining sin, as Colossians 3 says. As Christians, we are new creations in Christ. Sin no longer reigns, praise God, but it remains in us. And God is sanctifying us more and more into the image of His Son, but we, the reality is we still have sinful desires and these sinful desires are still attracted to the temptations of this fallen world, which is why we are prone to wander off the path of righteousness and into the snares of the devil. Even as believers, we're, we're prone to do that. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. As So therefore, as Christians, we continue to desperately need our wonderful counselor. Jesus is the good shepherd and we are his needy sheep. We need his word to feed us. We need his spirit to guide us and empower us. We need his church to encourage us and teach us. So, loved ones, beware of acting independently of Christ. beware of acting independently of Christ another reality of remaining sin another way remaining sin manifests itself is that we are prone to be prideful we are prone to be proud and think that we and that we can act independently We can easily be overconfident in our abilities and therefore not desperately seek the counsel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So let us continue to daily seek Him and abide in Him. So all of that was under the first heading. We see our desperate need for a wonder-working counselor. And now what I want to assure you from God's word is that Jesus is that counselor. And that leads us to our second heading then. Our second heading is Christ's perfect qualifications. We have a desperate need of a wonderful counselor. And Christ is perfectly qualified to be that Wonderful counselor. Again, I'll give you three reasons, 3 subpoints here. That Christ is perfectly qualified to be our wonder-working counselor to whom we should turn daily. Reason number one, he knows our deepest needs. Right? It, I mean, again, thinking of a counselor, uh, an earthly counselor, one of the most important tasks of a counselor is to diagnose the need, right? What does the counselee need? And no matter how skilled and, and even godly counselors might be at that, they can be mistaken sometimes, right? Ordinary counselors can be mistaken. They can draw wrong conclusions, or the counselees can maybe not be transparent and dis- deceive or, or hold back information. But none of that matters to Jesus, right? Jesus is different. Being the perfect God-man, Jesus never makes a mistake, and he knows our deepest needs. Just a couple of chapters ahead in Isaiah 11, and it's, it's speaking of the coming Messiah. Let me read for you Isaiah 11, verse 2 and following. Here's how it describes the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. You see, Jesus could cut through the facade of others and address the heart issue because like John 2 25 says Jesus knows what is in man. Jesus not only knows our needs because he's God, but he knows our needs because he is the God man. He has been there. He has taken on a human nature. He has entered into our broken world. He knows the challenges and the temptations that face that each of us face when seeking to obey. God and follow Christ in this world. Hebrews 4:15 says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Jesus knows our deepest needs. He has walked that path, and praise God, He has powerfully overcome it perfectly. Not only does Jesus know our deepest need, but secondly, second reason he's the perfect counselor, he has the power to transform us. I mean, this is what sets Jesus apart from any other counselor we would think of, right? I mean, even a good counselor can point you down the right path, but they cannot actually change you. But Jesus can. Jesus knows our deepest needs, and then He Himself comes by His Spirit and actually brings about the change. And that's what He's done in each one of us that have been saved. He saw our deepest need. He saw that we were dead in our sins and separated from our Creator and unable to save ourselves and Jesus purchased our salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. And then he sent his spirit, and his spirit applied salvation to us. The Holy Spirit gives new life to us, uniting us to Christ through faith. And as new creations, then the indwelling spirit takes the word of God and progressively sanctifies us into the likeness of Christ. That's Remember, that's the purpose he's carrying out. And Christ alone has the power to transform us. If God's ultimate purpose is to save and sanctify His people for the glory of His name, where else could we turn for that? Christ alone has the power to transform us. He who raised Lazarus from the dead, He who transformed the water into wine, has the power to make us alive in Christ and to progressively transform us into a people for His glory. Jesus is a powerful, wonder working counselor. Jesus not only knows our deepest need and has the power to transform us, but a third reason, a third qualification that makes him the perfect counselor. Think about this. He lovingly and patiently walks with us through the process. He lovingly and patiently walks with us through the process. Has there ever been a counselor like Jesus? A 24-7 counselor who's with us. Philippians 1-6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Earthly counselors may give up on us. Even the most patient ones, they may finally say, You know what? This is not working. The change is coming too slow or not at all. I, th- I think we need to just quit. <laughs> but Jesus will not give up on his bride. He has committed himself to his people. Ephesians five, starting in the beginning or excuse me, starting in the middle of verse 25, reads, "Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her." That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus is preparing his bride, the church, his people. He is sanctifying his bride in order to present her, in order to present us to himself upon his return. Amazing, the love and the patience of Christ. To continue to sanctify us. To continue to wash us and cleanse us. Even though we're, we're so fickle, right? I, want you, I pray that you'll be in awe today of the love and the patience and the power of Jesus, our wonder-working counselor. Though we are often slow to change... Jesus is faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will finish what He has started. (laughs) Praise God. So we've seen our desperate need for a wonder working counselor. That was our first heading. Then we've seen that Christ is that perfect counselor. That's our second heading. But there's one more important piece for us to consider, and that's our third and final heading the necessary response. The necessary response. Jesus is the wonder-working counselor who saves sinners and daily transforms them increasingly into his image. But for whom does he do this? Not all are saved. Not all are transformed. So what characteristic is present in those who benefit from Christ's saving and transforming power? We know it's by God's grace, but I'm looking at what is what is true of the person who benefits from God's grace. I want to give you two necessary responses. Number 1, humbly ask. Humbly ask. Humbly acknowledge your need. Humbly cry out for help. Humbly turn to Jesus. Jesus is the wonder-working counselor who can save us and transform us, but he only does that for those who are poor in spirit. Matthew 5.3, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, those who recognize I need Christ, only Christ can save me. I cannot be good enough, I cannot get my life straightened out on my own. I cannot make myself right with God. and I am poor, I am bankrupt in spirit. Help me Jesus. And Jesus says, "You're in the kingdom of heaven. You've believed. Jesus said in Mark 2:17, "Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick." I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you think you are fine on your own, if you think you don't need Christ's wonder-working power and grace to save you, then you will remain without Christ. Please understand, our, our salvation is entirely of the Lord. We contribute nothing but our sin. But evidence of God's saving work in your life is humility. Humility and and dependence on the Lord. God's sovereign grace overpowers our dead, prideful hearts, causing us to see our desperate need and humbly embrace Christ. Christians should be the most humble people in the world because of the mercy we've been shown, because God has opened our eyes to see we could never save ourselves and the great lengths he went to to save us. Friend, please understand, pride causes many a person to perish in their sins. Pride causes a person to think they're pretty good that they're not deserving of eternal punishment. I, you know, God's going to accept me. I'm better than this guy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a decent person. That kind of thinking leads to eternal destruction. Eternal destruction. God's, God's word says, All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in light of God's absolute purity. And so the first necessary response today is to humbly ask. Or you could say, humbly admit that you are a sinner. That you need a Savior. And humbly, by faith, then embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Admit that you're not Lord of your life. Admit that you, you are not good enough to make it on your own. That you need Jesus. You need mercy. You need forgiveness. Christian today. I'm speaking now to Christians. Remaining pride which we all have can hinder our growth. So we too need to daily humbly ask Christ for his power and his wisdom. James chapter 1 in the context of of those who are going through trials specifically says James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Don't we need wisdom daily to handle the trials of life, to handle life in this fallen world? Let us humbly ask and seek the Lord. Too many of us act independently of Christ. Like branches trying to survive without the vine. Along these same lines then, I want to share a second response this morning. And again, now I have Christians primarily in mind with this response, although it, it applies to initial conversion. Diligently seek. Humbly ask and diligently seek. Wise counsel, wonder-working power is from the Lord is available. We need to seek it. Wise counsel, wonder-working power from the Lord is available, but loved ones, we need to seek it. Sanctifying grace is available. We need to pursue then the means of grace that Christ has established for us. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 and following say, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding... If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Seek it. We're not just supposed to lay back and say, all right, God, change me. Yes, it is God's power who changes us. Only God can do that. But we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So we're seeking him, but we're dependent on his grace to seek him. Because I know there's days you wake up and you're just like, I just don't even feel like seeking the Lord. Cry out, God, please help me. Please help me seek you. I know I need you. Please, um, how's that one hymn go? I, I was just thinking of it now, but I can't bring it to mind. Thou must fan the flame in my heart, right? I need you to, to, <laughs> I need you to help me to seek you. I read Philippians 4.15 earlier. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who whom in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The very next verse, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near, seek the throne of grace so that you find grace help in time of need grace meaning and strength daily strength for the christian life loved ones the reason many of us are not experiencing more change the reason many of us are not experiencing more growth and sanctification i'm convinced as i look at my own life is because we're not abiding in christ enough We don't have his words abiding in us. We drink so deeply of the world's counsel and take little sips of Christ's counsel. Little nibbles of his word. While then just hours and hours and hours of the world's ungodly counsel or at least impotent counsel I close with dis- I'm asking you to kind of examine yourself with. I've tr- tried to present to you, Christ is our wonder-working counselor who has the power, the love, the grace to transform us. And so you need to ask yourself, and I'll ask it to you: from whom are you seeking counsel? From where do you get your counsel? You know, I grew up in church hearing preachers say, man, you know, open up the checkbook and we're going to tell you where your heart is, right? And I, I get that, you know. Jesus said, you know, our money is often shown by what we treasure. I think today we could say the same thing about our, our media, right? Look at your podcast library. Look at your playlists. Are you listening mostly to unbelievers? <laughs> And again, I understand there's common grace, you know. I mean, if you're trying to fix a car, you listen to, you know, Joe Schmo's mechanic YouTube channel, right? I get that. Praise God for common grace and common knowledge. That's fine. But we are influenced by what we listen to, by what we take in. Proverbs 4 says, guard your hearts, for from it flow the wellspring of life. So just do me a favor. Look at your podcasts, look at your playlists, are you listening mostly to unbelievers? Do you spend most of your time listening to teach, Do you, are you listening mostly to unbelievers or are you listening mostly to, to God's word or to teachers who teach God's word or point you to Christ in some way? That needs to be the bulk of our diet. Where do you get your counsel? Brother and sister in Christ, Jesus is a wonder working counselor. Humbly seek his counsel. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Bathe your study in prayer. Jesus can work wonders in your marriage, Jesus can transform your thoughts and affections, Jesus can bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because Jesus is the wonder-working counselor whose spirit and word can transform us. So let us humbly ask and diligently seek him. And for any here who don't know Christ, again, humbly call out to Jesus to save you, to rescue you. And he will will graciously do that and he will faithfully be with you for all time. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your grace that you did not leave us in darkness, that you did not leave us dead in our sins, but you, Father, Son, and Spirit, graciously agreed and delighted to, to rescue your people. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for humbling Yourself, leaving the glories of heaven and taking on a human nature, taking on the form of a servant to to be obedient unto death on a cross. We praise You for Your finished work. We praise You that You rose victorious, that You defeated sin and death, that You are a wonder-working Savior, that You are carrying out the Father's plan to To save and sanctify his people. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your life giving word. You have the words of life. Where else would we turn? Please forgive us for turning. So often to the. The foolishness of this world. I pray that you will. Help us Lord. You know us. You know our weaknesses. You know the bombardment we face. Will you help us to diligently seek you to lovingly abide you will you by your grace draw us to yourself again and again daily and will you transform us will you transform us for your glory lord i know there are people here who are who are in hard places they're in hard places they we we need growth we need we need victory Grant that victory for your glory. You are a wonder-working counselor. We will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue in our worship now by <clears throat> taking the Lord's Supper together. This, the Lord's Supper is something that God has given, the Lord Jesus specifically, has given to his church as a means of grace, as a way of pointing us to the, the truth of the gospel, as physical reminders of what he has done. These are symbols, right, that the work is finished. There's no re crucifixion going, I don't even know if that's a word, there's, there's no re-sacrifice of Christ going on here. No, it, it is finished. But these, word, these uh, uh, elements are just symbols reminding us of what he has done to encourage us, to rejoice, uh, cause us to rejoice at his grace. I want to read a few more verses. Some of them I'm I'm reviewing from the sermon just to remind us of them. Then I'll give some specific instructions about the table. As we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, again, I want us to think about God's purposes. (laughs) God's plan and purpose from before the foundation of the world to save his people and glorify himself. And how he has carried that out through his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 28, 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Isaiah 25, 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Isaiah 46, 9. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsels shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Praise God as we take the Lord's Supper together. We're reminded God has and is accomplishing his purposes. He did send his son. And his son did lay down his life and, and pay, fully pay for the sins of all his people. His son did rise from the, from the dead and send his spirit. His son is returning. So as we take the Lord's Supper, we're not only remembering his first coming and his sacrifice, but Scripture says we're proclaiming his death until he comes, that he is coming when he will complete this work of transformation in us, when we will be changed and be like him. As we are with him forever in glorified bodies and and hearts. So rejoice today. God saved his people by sending his son into the world. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we have the Lord's Supper now to remember that we've been redeemed, that God is our Father, and to thank him and praise him. Let this also be a time then uh, for uh, confessing any known sins to the Lord, confessing Our sinful independence of Him, reaffirming our our desperate need for Him, and rejoicing in His patient love and forgiveness. The Lord's Supper is exclusively for those who, for believers, those who have publicly identified with Christ. So if that describes you today, you're welcome to to take of the bread and the cup. If you're not a believer today uh, and haven't publicly, identified yourself as a follower of christ we'd ask that you let the bread and the cup pass by we're not going to embarrass you but scripture warns us to that unbelievers shouldn't take the lord's supper because in doing so they're they're really uh, dishonoring the name of christ they're making kind of a a sham of 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 what the the table symbolizes having not themselves embraced christ's life and death And so if you don't know Christ today, again, I'm praying that the word of God that's been sown into your heart today, that God will water that and bring it to faith. And that even the cup and and stuff and the cup and bread passing by would be a good reminder to you of Christ's sacrifice. So if I could have the men come forward, please, who are going to serve us today. And loved ones, there's there's one... um, Specific instruction I want to give you today. In the trays, there's a small amount of gluten-free bread. Um, the inner ring of the trays will have single cups that just have gluten-free bread because we know that is um, the situation that some, some of us are in. So if that's you, feel free to take from the inner ring for the bread, but then to, to get the juice, you'll also need to take one of the stacked cups from the outer ring. So you'll just have an extra bread that you don't need, but that's how you'll get the cup, okay?